Welcome to Composers On Air, a podcast presented by Music Information Center Lithuania. I'm your host, True Rozaski. We'll be hearing conversations with living Lithuanian composers who will be giving us deeper insights into their music. With a lifelong passion for early music and Gregorian chant, Cemerite takes us on a postmodern journey of musical space, reduced structure, and a relentless commitment to silence. This episode is brought to you by the Lithuanian Council for Culture and the Ministry of Culture of the Republic of Lithuania. First, I wanted to welcome you to this episode of Composers On Air. It's great to meet so many Lithuanian composers living abroad, and I think you're the first composer I've spoken to living in Germany. Sometimes I ask about cultural identity, so I wanted to ask you about your geographical relocation, and how has that integration into German culture changed your musical life? Hello, Drew. Thank you for invitation to this broadcast and for your interest in my music. I moved to Germany 21 years ago, right after my master's study at the Lithuanian Music Academy. Germany attracted me as a magic country for musicians, as a cradle for the European music and culture. During my studies, music trends in Lithuania were more or less influenced by the post-romantic spirit. So, naturally, I was fascinated at so different music landscape in Germany. I must say that my knowledge about German music was very limited. I knew many composers from the avant-garde scene, from the Darmstadt school, like um, Karl-Heinz Stohausen or Hans Werner Henze. For me, this music sounded very mathematic, without feelings, so anti-romantic. In Germany, I discovered Helmut Lachenmann, Barbara Heller, Wolfgang Grimm, and many, many other artists who composed various music far away from tradition of the Darmstadt school. So the first thing I did in Germany was spending a lot of time exploring music scores and possibilities of extended techniques. I attended many concerts of contemporary music. I took part in the International Darmstadt New Music Summer School twice. I also studied musicology at the Johann Wolfgang Goethe University in Frankfurt. All these experiences were very important to me, so I naturally picked the most attractive music elements or techniques to my music vocabulary. It was not only German music I liked. I also admired music of Salvatore Sharino, Toshio Hosokawa or Olga Neuwirth. I still benefit from the both music landscapes, the Baltic and the Western. I don't want to say German. I think sometimes it's easy to respond to the stereotypes of German culture or even German music and lean towards this perception of calculated music or what might be judged in Darmstadt and what happens there. But I also feel a lot of innovative spirit with the work of Stockhausen 
and really reaching to the edges of risk-taking and so on. But I wanted to know a little bit more about the idea of, and I think there are equal stereotypes about Eastern European music, about warmth and depth and emotional outpouring and so on. I think a lot about structure and the decisions that are made in that sense. Uh, in an article by Ramune Kazloskaite, you've established a personal motto. I quote, not to clutter anything with music. What is the meaning of clutter and what does this motto really mean to you? I always admired quiet, silent and not overloaded music. I once said to my professor Oskaldas Bolakauskas that I can see the vision of my music in my mind. It would sound transparent with flowing lines. For me, composing music is an act of cleansing, a disclaimer of unnecessary sounds. To say the main idea with some sounds or some gestures is the biggest art. As a student, I wrote a piece for three cellos with an extremely sound reduction. I only used two notes, B and C. I like play with reduced sounds. Sometimes I even take five or six notes for a whole piece. Another very important point for me are the pauses. My music should breathe, should have pauses and time to listen into it. I don't want to clutter the audience with chaos of the sounds. I want to give the audience a chance to listen to their inner selves when the silence appears. Yeah, that's wonderful, this idea of giving the audience a chance to internalize the experience of sound in the music. And many people think that a minimalist approach might mean repetition or a static nature of structure, but thinking in your terms of finding a way to create simplicity through allowing this sonic space to give reflection to the experience when it comes into the ears and connect to the inner state. Audience accessibility has been a very important topic for me and it was actually the topic of my master's thesis. And when thinking of popularity and what we call new music, Arvo Pert has been coined as a composer of sacred minimalism, but it's found a way that's comfortable and less challenging for the experimental listener. How has Parrot influenced your music and what are your thoughts on audience accessibility? During my studies, Arvo Parrot was one of the main composers for me. My favorite piece was Sarah was 90 years old. I listened to it very, very often and felt in love with all the pauses in this piece. Once Pat said, it is enough when a single note is beautifully played and music is about the silence. Of course, his ideas influenced my music. For example, my piece Still, Silent, I totally reduced the musical language and concentrated myself on the pauses and single notes. The basis of this piece was the admiration of silence. Like Pat said, 
the sounds are in the music to surround the silence. While I compose, I don't think about the audience. For me, the most important thing is the act of creation, to express myself, to find the most suitable solution for my ideas. I think the audience who attend the contemporary music concerts are pretty educated and curious.
Surrounding silence with sound is very, very interesting. You've also said that there must be 30% of silence in your music. Can you explain this? As I told, I love silence in music. For me, silence is an equivalent component to the notes. When I compose, I think intentional about the places in the piece where I can throw the music flow. Those frozen moments are sacred for me, like meditation going to the deepest part of my soul. The piece must not always be silent. It can have forte fortissimo places, but it needs quiet places somewhere, places where the audience can breathe. I believe in power of silent and not overloaded music. Well, it might be tempting to enter the topic of sacred and what that means. But I was thinking about Morton Feldman, and I know you've referenced him in interviews in the past and that there is a relationship you have to Feldman's music. And I also know that Feldman was extremely sensitive to almost demanding silence in certain circumstances. Most performers have a hard time 
adhering to his dynamic markings in the scores, and almost always he would complain about this. What's your relationship to the music of Feldman, and why is it important to you? Morton Feldman was another important artist for me as I was a young composer. I loved his quiet and slowly evolving music and his idea that the sounds must breathe. Feldman understood the time not as a composing element, he admired time as a free flow. My point of view about the time is different. I consider time as an element of composition. Very important for me is to sketch the shape of composition, to plan the flow of time. I don't like to leave the time to chance. I wanted to turn to the subject of intention about writing a piece, and I know you've written music in response to serious subjects like the women's concentration camp in Ravensbrück. Can you tell us how this musical idea was born? In 2003, I was invited to participate in the European Chamber Music Days in Brandenburg. The last concert was dedicated to the women concentration camp in Ravensbrück and took place in the former textile factory. Ravensbrück was the largest women's concentration camp in Germany during the Second War. This Prisoners came from over 30 nations, including Lithuania. Now it is a memorial place and a museum. So for this concert, five women composers from five different nations were invited to write a composition in relation to the history of this camp. All musicians were also women. And besides our contemporary compositions, Songs were also performed of the prisoner Ludmila Peshkerova. She wrote about 100 songs in Ravensbrück, but only 25 of them survived. I composed a piece for the string quartet named Lamentation, a sound rose in memory of the women of Ravensbrück. With my music, I wanted to lay down a sound of a rose for the women who died and suffered in Ravensbrück. My composition consists of three parts. In the first part, I try to express my deep emotions using the three themes. The first is a very emotional lyric theme, Con Espressione. The second one is a tragic theme, Con Tristezza. And the last one is a very stormy marcato theme. I also use many poses, the silent moments to express my speechlessness about this horrible place here. The second part is a short silent meditation. And in the last part, I used the original chords from the song Der Leiermann by Franz Schubert. The composition ends with a violent solo, the symbol of loneliness, pain and sadness.
Yeah, I love this idea of responding musically to the feeling of speechlessness. That's uh, so interesting. Many interviewers ask about influences and inspiration, and I'm interested in knowing about how this connects to your creative process. I wanted to ask you about the piece Meine Seele Wartet after listening to Bach. Can you walk us through this process? The relationship between the old and new music is very important to me. I like it a lot when we suddenly, in contemporary music, recognize a short moment from pieces of old masters. Sometimes I revive the sounds from the early culture, for example, from Hildegard von Bingen or Heinrich Schütz. Or let myself inspire from the visual arts, like in my piece built on a ramen, picture without frames, I was inspired by Claude Monet's painting. As I composed Jahre ohne Mozart, Years without Mozart, for a string quoted and an accordion, Mozart was like a metaphor for the absolute music for me. Years without Mozart symbolizes years without music. It was a time in my life when I didn't have a chance to write much music because of my children growing up. The composition starts and ends with the playing parts of the string-quoted number 4, G minor, of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. His music contains the whole drama and the tragic of the piece that was born because of the endless desire to write music. Another example of inspirations in my music could be a commissioned piece Letters Venice Nida for the Thomas Mann Festival. I was inspired by the Thomas Mann novella Tod in Venedig, Death in Venice. Although this piece is written for a mixed choir, I didn't use his texts. I tried to convey the atmosphere of this novella. All those inspirations are coming from my daily life. My pieces are inspired by books, films, concerts, nature or exhibitions. Like in the piece Meine Seele wartet after listening to Bach. The history of this piece was that um, two years ago I visited the Johann Sebastian Bach Museum and Thomas Church in Leipzig, where Bach worked and composed for a long time. Right after my journey, the lockdown came and the music life stopped. On the internet I started looking for concerts from the Thomas Church, and so I found many fascinating performances with the music of Bach. I especially felt in love with the, with the aria Meine Seele wartet, My Soul Waits for the Lord, from the cantata number 131. This music overwhelmed me. It kept on resonating permanently in my head and demanded me to be transformed into new sounds. So I composed this piece. Mm. <laughs> 
felt the most interesting concept was how to take an inspirational element like a visual element like the visual work of Monet or the inner experience of poetry and then somehow connecting your musical experience and your inner musical competence to a series of steps that it takes to create a musical form and I wanted to turn to that concept of form. How do you view form? How do you envision an idea and then convert it into these time constraints? As composers, we write our most pieces for the commissions. So with these commissions, we get a very important composing factor, the duration of the piece. In this, let's say, 10 or 15 minutes, we have time to show our ideas and mastery. I like to sketch the form of the piece on paper, like a graphic picture, because um, then I can clearly see what I want to do with my form, where I can put the silent moments and when the culmination should come, or how long the one or another part should be, and much more. As I spoke about Morton Feldman, for me very important is to sketch the shape of my compositions and to plan the flow of the time. But composing freely, if that's something you do, do you work by accessing memory and attempt to capture that accuracy or does the process itself inform the continuity of forward motion allowing the form to create itself? Besides the exactly construction of time, I mostly work intuitive. Sometimes I start with one idea of the composition and in the end I see how this idea was transformed. It's like to read a book. You never know what is happening after a couple of pages, where the main character is going to do something unexpected. In the music, we have the same process. Your thoughts are wandering continuously from one idea to another. 
Sometimes one idea, which the day before appears as great, can look as not more interesting and exciting as today. So this process is very vital and sometimes unforeseeable. And do you happen to remember if and when you made a conscious decision to take an interest in silence as a deep concern for your music? As I previously talked about my music vision, my interest in silence already appeared during my studies by Balakauskas. But at that time I didn't compose such kind of music. After the studies, my first piece, Ave Maristella, for the string quartet, was inspired and based by the Gregorian chant. I began to play with long pauses and silent notes the first time there. I think so, because at that moment I sang Gregorian chants and was deeply involved in that genre. After the studies I felt free to write my own music and to have time to concern about it. But of course my interest in silence came from my aesthetic taste. I have always loved very aesthetical but not overloaded art. I practiced Gregorian chant and it naturally influenced my music considerations about composing. And about this relationship to Gregorian chants, how did this interest develop? Since I was a teenager, I admired art and music of the Middle Ages. As a student, I began to sing Gregorian chants in the choir Scola Gregoriana Vilnensis, and I was simply fascinated of its monodic singing. This austere music made a huge influence of my composing considerations. Gregorian chant is the perfect created liturgical language for me. I am still studying and singing these fascinating chants after more than 25 years. Many of my pieces are inspired and written by the Gregorian chants. For example, my project Vidi Aquam, a dialogue between postmodern and Gregorian chant. This project has been successfully performed in Germany and in Lithuania seven times. The program of Vidi Aquam contains seven Gregorian chants about water. To the seven selected chants, I composed seven pieces for a flute quartet and soprano, which seemed like answers or comments to it. Before I composed, I spent a long time to delve into the texts of these chants, to understand the Latin words and neumes. Very important for me was not giving a new meaning about this chance with my music, but I wanted to continue their flow and their ideas what about the text in the chant is. My pieces were performed in turn with Gregorian chants, like a dialogue between now and then. 
When I compose the pieces based of Gregorian chant or chants of Hildegard von Bingen, I need to understand these texts, the main words and their meaning. After that, I can work with my note material and put the correct accents in my music piece. According to this principle, I composed a choir piece Viderunt Omnes and two tepras for accordion solo. They were based on the two chants of Hildegard von Bingen. The first tepra was inspired by the chant Ayer enim volat, for the air is fleet. The text is about air, about the power of air. My composition is also very breezy. I used many air sounds, percussion tones, whisper elements, the fragments of original chant of Hildegard von Bingen.
so interesting to hear this idea of dialogue between past and present. And I know through the texts of Gregorian chants that there's a lot of ambiguity around language and Latin texts, whether it's traditional Latin or ecclesiastical Latin, or in some cases, like with the inspiration for Carmina Burana, was quoted as street Latin to find a little bit more of a direct connection to the text. And it's so fascinating that you've taken this interest for so long where you feel that your musical history of composition has this simultaneous connection to this relationship of Gregorian chants. So what's in the near future for the music of Diana Cemerite? What can we expect to hear next? At present, I am rehearsing my newest piece for a bass recorder and a violoncello. This piece will be soon recorded on the CD. This year, I have became the commission from the Saxon Music Association to compose a piece in memoriam Heinrich Schutz. So I wrote a vocal piece, die mit Tränen sehen, for 16 voices. It will be performed in September in Dresden and Leipzig. I am still waiting for the premiere of my piece Antigone for the accordion solo. And of course I am planning a new composition, but about that maybe next time. Well, there's so much to look forward to then. Fantastic. So sounds like you'll be very, very busy, but it sounds like so much will come out of it. I wanted to thank you so much for being a guest in this podcast, and I hope to meet you in person soon. Thank you very much, Drew. It was a pleasure talking with you.